Welcome to the Man Up to Cancer podcast. I'm Trevor Maxwell. I'm a stage four colon cancer survivor, and I've got a message for other men. You don't have to go through this alone. What does it mean to man up to cancer? It means reaching out instead of isolating. It means having the courage to accept help along the way. To me, manning up isn't just about being tough. It's about knowing that we're stronger and smarter as a pack than we are as lone wolves. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Man Up to Cancer podcast. I am psyched to have our friend from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, Rob Burridge with us today. But before we say hi to Rob, I need to say hi to Kellen. Hi, Kellen. Hey, Trevor. How are you? I'm doing all right. Awesome. We're here. Yeah, we're, we're still going, man. Yeah, absolutely. So Kellen drove up the road to uh, sit down with me and talk to Rob. I'm pretty psyched about that. Everything going good in your life, Kellen? Yeah. Yep. Just looking at this next normal and trying to plan it out. But that's everybody's current. So I'm good. Yep. <laughs> All right, Rob, how are you, man? Hello, everyone. I'm doing just fine. Thank you very much. I'm uh, I'm very happy, too, because you pronounced my last name properly. Usually I get a Burridge or a Burbridge, or, <laughs> but you got it right on the button. Thank you very much. I love it. So some of you have seen the Man Up to Cancer uh, Stuck in the Man Cave I did with Rob way back when. Rob is a stage four rectal cancer patient. I'm a stage four colon cancer patient. So between the two of us, we have amazing superpower of colorectal cancer. Yeah. Way to go, Rob. Join forces. Join forces. So I met Rob online in the space that I like to call Cancerland, which is like the Facebook and other networks where cancer patients connect. And Rob stuck out to me right away because he has this amazing smile, this amazing engagement. He is just this force of like positivity, but also honesty. He's a guy's guy. He, he was a heavy duty mechanic for many years out there in Vancouver, but he's also vulnerable. Like he is willing to say that he needs help along the way. He loves not isolating. So it makes him a complex guy that I am just so happy to talk to. So I do want Rob to kind of give us the, the Cliff's notes a little bit. It's been four years, I believe, since you were diagnosed with stage four rectal cancer. You were 31 years old, right? Yeah, I just got ticketed as a heavy duty mechanic, kind of was putting retirement away, just bought a house, was in a serious relationship, kind of just getting my life kind of started. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And then um, all of a sudden just started having a little bit of rectal bleeding and went to my um, doctor just to see what was going on. And yeah, the, they found, like I said, a five centimeter tumor in my lower rectum. And that was honestly just a blind side just because it was doctors were telling me it was hemorrhoids because which, what 31 year old has colorectal cancer kind of thing. And I just um, kind of just was having my life all just getting set up and ready just to do the long haul till retirement. And then all of a sudden had this atom bomb of a truth bomb, I guess you can say, or a reality bomb anyways, which just dropped right in front of me and just kind of scrambled to make sense of it all. And here I am four and a half years later, still in active treatment, still still battling this stupid monkey on my back that I always call it. And um, yeah, just kind of just took life by my own life by, my, by the reins and just kind of wanted to live the life that I wanted to live that I should have been living pre-diagnosis. So you mentioned that at 31, you know, they were trying to diagnose it other things because they weren't thinking it was obviously the cancer at stage four. I'm curious what the statistics are. Of course. Um, typically, they don't even start, start screening this uh, for this disease until you're usually in your 50s. 
So me being at 31, being stage four, so obviously I must have had it in my late 20s to even begin with. I was not even on their diagnosis radar, um, kind of just an anomaly, I guess, but it seems to be more and more common nowadays. Yeah, a lot of misconception of just thinking that this is just an old old man disease and that the younger generation tend to not get it. But I think that's why we're finding more advanced stages in younger people because they get put on the back shelf of just, oh no, it's just probably hemorrhoids. Yeah, absolutely. And unfortunately, stories like Rob's are not uncommon uh, anymore. Um, so this young onset with colorectal cancer is huge. It's a big deal. So the guidelines have been now dropped from 50 to 45 to begin screening. And if you have symptoms or a family history, it's even earlier than that. So folks should talk to their doctor because people born in 19, I believe people born in 1990 or right around that generation have two times the chance of developing colon cancer and four times the chance of developing rectal cancer than the generation prior. Now there's all kinds of theories out there as to, you know, health and wellness lifestyles, but we find this young onset happening across cultures and across countries as well, which is really interesting. So, you know, I don't pretend to have a handle on that and I'm sure we're going to explore that, you know, down the road, but, but yeah, unfortunately it fell on Rob. So Rob, did you have any indication any, or this was just a total bombshell for you, right? I had no previous family history of colorectal. I did have some family history of different cancers, but they seemed to, in my mm-hmm. family, they seemed to be more of in the senior, late age kind of thing. So almost to be expected. But um, yeah, with mine, it was out of the blue, no family history. Did you find that in retrospect, because you were mentioning earlier that you probably had been dealing with this since your early 20s, potentially because you were stage four. Was Were there things that you had been ignoring now that you thought, oh man, that must have been these early signs that I was just kind of writing off as you know indigestion or other things that potentially you now know were these precursors? Well, yeah, um, I wish I took my rectal bleeding a little bit more seriously. Yeah, And um, I was pretty much like almost self-diagnosed with just having some sort of IBS. Um, I found that certain foods would aggravate me compared to certain other foods. And then um, I just thought it was just I had a sensitive stomach towards certain foods, but it could have possibly just been that I was having um, a flare up of some sort because my tumor was fairly low down, lower in my in my rectum. So it could have I was just passing off the occasional little bit of constipation, just maybe with some food that I I ate or just not looking after my gut kind of thing and definitely did not anticipate cancer. They were actually going to test me for colitis. Um, that's how the initial uh, diagnosis came about, but obviously it wasn't colitis or Crohn's. So I just kind of, I guess, yeah, just listening and just even being aware of the fact if I knew that colorectal cancer was on the rise and as, as younger people, I would have obviously taken the steps and been a bit more diligent and trying to figure out my own diagnosis. Right. And spot on. And just, I just want to say, so, so you're doing your part now in educating folks about that. And and because you had, yeah, there's no reason for you to think that that was a possibility for you. I mean, and even with the symptoms we find with young onset, some people go to the doctors and are told for years that their symptoms are, are the product of something else. And, and are in, some people are even told that you're, you know, it's in your head. And before they're actually getting the diagnostic screenings necessary to show that they have cancer. So, so you are a true warrior with the stuff you've gone through. You've had, you know, multiple surgeries, mul- tons of chemo. Where are you at now? Did you have a surgery recently, Rob? Yeah. Well, to give me the whole history of myself, I've had 25 shots of radiation, 40 something chemos. I can't really remember. They kind of all blend into one. 
And I just finished my eighth surgery, actually, only to find that um, the cancer that was in my liver was in a tricky spot for them to resect the full liver. So they just wanted to put me back on chemo for a little bit, just so they can make the next surgery a little easier. Um, I was reassured by my surgeon that the next surgery is very much possible. Uh, We just want to make it easier for the surgeon's job to get better margins. So it's been a hell of a ride for the last four and a half years. (laughs) Oh, man. So you found out after your last surgery that basically coming out of that you were going to need chemo and then another surgery past that yeah i guess they are there's three hepatic arteries to the liver that they want uh, and they need one of them to be clear i fortunately enough have a a tumor on each one of those arteries but uh Mm. as the surgeon was saying he just needs a little bit more shrinkage he doesn't need them gone he just needs a little bit more shrinkage and then it makes me viable for my next surgery um he was all (laughs) He said I had a lot of clean liver left, which to be honest with you, I'm a little bit surprised as the amount of abuse and torment I put my liver through in my late <laughs> 20s. But uh, <laughs> You and me both, buddy. <laughs> yeah, right? Oh, the craft beer scene's huge up here. So uh, That's here as well. We are uh, bi-coastal craft beers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I love beers on hot summer days. Yeah. But he says that everything's still going good for me. Um, he's quite as impressed that for being four and a half years, it's just really contained to my liver. And... Um, I bounce back really quickly. So I'm, I'm pretty much uh, two months post-surgery and I'm already doing everything shy of sit-ups right now. So. Wow. So you find that your recovery post-surgeries has been above average for what you're going through. As I tell people that haven't really been through this situation, uh, for me, I find surgeries a lot easier to deal with than a year and a half of chemo. Wow. It's just, uh, it's not to downplay it all. It is technically a huge surgery, but it's just physical pain. I'd rather be in pain than nauseous. Rob, I I am incredibly grateful to have you be part of the Howling Place, which is Man Up to Cancer's Facebook group for guys, and also just to be your friend in general. And as you know, Man Up to Cancer is all about getting men not to isolate during our cancer journeys. You talked about a couple themes when we talked before. You talked about dealing with acceptance around your diagnosis and what you continue to go through, and also identity and how that has sort of been blown up for you and having to reform your identity of yourself and how you see yourself in the world since then. Can you talk about those two things and and how you're doing right now? Well, I'll I'll start with the hard subject of acceptance. Um, Mm. I've been trying to accept more or less what the cards have been dealt for me for the last four and a half years. And for whatever reason, it's a very, very hard pill to swallow for myself. Not to say that I am was never destined to get cancer or anything else like that. It was just such a blindsiding diagnosis that I didn't think in my 30s that I'd be dealing with this. I was preparing for retirement, bought a house, everything else like that. And then, boom, have your whole um, life pretty much upended. And now you're, uh, you went from a heavy-duty mechanic fixing big trucks to now you're a patient getting IV chemo every two weeks. Yeah, the acceptance kind of blended in with my identity because I was really proud and loved being a mechanic, loved being the master of my own destiny, loved um, just being an accomplished person to now having everything ripped out from you because there's not really a good chance that I can be a mechanic anymore with constant surgeries and chemos and everything like that. So it's been a soul searching journey. I hate that word, but it's just been kind of figuring out and getting back to my own roots of what I am as a person and not what I was as a mechanic. So I've just been kind of doing my own little self 
realization or whatever you want to call it to see what who is Robbie as a person as opposed to who was Rob as an occupation so yeah we as humans have these things where we're always combating our narrative self and our experiential self and one of the ways that we see ourselves in our own narrative and then one of the things that we're actually experiencing in the real world and they're kind of always at odds but especially it seems like when you would go through something like this as life-changing, you don't have control over the narrative anymore and you have to really shift that. And I can see that being really hard. Yeah, and I think one of the things for me personally has been part of that narrative is thinking that a man's life is valued or, or defined by a certain length of time and certain milestones you reach. And I think coming to terms with not being in control of my own lifespan and that that lifespan might not be what I thought it was going to be. And really wrestling with that, maybe never being okay with that, but finding some peace there and to say, well, damn it, I'm, I'm going to live as, as engaged and as joyful and get as much out of this life as I can while I'm here because cancer puts that right in front of you, especially when you're stage four, that you might not have that much time on this earth. So you better damn well make the best of it. And I, I see you doing that, Rob, and I know it's hard. Thank you very much. And um, well, to be honest with you, I was destined to die long before cancer. Every person has obviously a certain time limit on this earth. And when I got diagnosed with such a huge diagnosis, I decided to grab life by the horns and live the life that I wanted to live because I've I've had friends who in the past have died from other just random accidents, uh, ATV accidents, mm. um, just being a young teenager kind of thing. And to have the awakening that I have right now as a stage four patient. And I really cherish that because sometimes when you do die, you don't get this awakening mm -hmm. before you die. You mm -hmm. end up just going out for a quad ride and never made it home from dinner. So he never, my buddy of mine never really had the chance to actually take stock and realize what he's been given in life. So when I got diagnosed, I decided to take it on head on, not push it away underneath the, uh, just cover it up or whatever and just live life the way that 70, 80, 90 year olds would live their life and looking back and they did what they wanted to do before their time was up. Dude, you <laughs> nailed it. And you said the word awakening. That resonates with me. And I want to say that it's not in that hallmark way that you think of it because it's like people think, oh yeah, stage four cancer, that must be a real awakening about, and you must just cherish everything. It's like, no. Well, okay. Partially, the truth of it is that it's still going to suck. You don't want to have to do it. You don't want to have to be faced with this. If you could trade it in, like, hell yeah, you would. But at the same time, it is an awakening to the moment and to that preciousness of life and to being really present, maybe for the first time in my life. I mean, it definitely has been an awakening in that sense, but it's not, it's not some, you know, great gift that we want to spread around. Everyone should have this. Well, <laughs> I before I did this podcast, I promised my wife I wouldn't swear. But when it comes to this situation, I pretty much just made honey out of horse poo. So <laughs> wait, was poo the swear? Because if that's what you were worried about, then <laughs> Alan will swear for you. Yeah, I'll swear for you if you need it. I got those all in the bag. <laughs> oh, God. And then it was make, like making honey out of horse shit. There you go. <laughs> um, it was just really one of those situations where you, you didn't really like you were saying, you don't, you wouldn't want to go through this situation, but you're already in this situation. So you might as well make the best of it, regardless of however it plays out. I mean, everyone's future is unwritten, particularly right. a stage four cancer patient. Yeah. I saw a woman running the other day. She had a shirt on that said, tomorrow is not given. 
And and yeah, we're gonna get into like things cancer patients don't want to hear in a minute, but but because one of the things we don't want to hear is like, well, everyone's dying. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, but it's a little more abstract for you, probably not you, Rob, but for this person, this theoretical person. Um, so yeah, it's actually why don't we let's just transition into that right now. Let's think about. I'll give you one really good example of we're gonna do the things not to say to a cancer patient with Rob Burridge and. One of the things that I heard was I'm in the line of the bank and someone's with me and they mentioned cancer and the, the teller hears that I have cancer. And she's like, she says, well, the doctors once thought I had cancer too, but I just visualized that it was not there. And then I went back in and they said, I don't have cancer. So what you should do is just visualize that you don't have cancer anymore. Did you visualize a middle finger in her direction? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So I, so I visualized the middle finger and then later I'm like thinking about going back into my garden and just saying, there are no weeds, there are no weeds. And I'm hoping that's going to work too. Oh, apparently, did you know apple cider vinegar cures cancer? I didn't know that. I'm going to go stock up. No, I've had, um, oh my God, you lost so much weight. You look great. <laughs> you look awesome. I had one. Oh, you look great today. You didn't look so great last time I saw you. Well, I thought I felt pretty good last time you saw me. I got a new haircut. I just was finished treatment. Like I was, I thought I was kicking ass, but apparently I look like crap. So, and to drop even the hugest, hugest, hugest bomb. Um, my wife went just to get her normal checkups and everything with the doctor, and somehow it got brought up about me being stage four cancer, just newly diagnosed. And without even flinching, the doctor offered um, assisted suicide right there. <laughs> wow. Oh, my God. Right? Because uh, beautiful Canada is legal assisted suicide. <laughs> I guess I, did, I missed all the flyers that were put up on the telephone poles <laughs> saying that if you need assisted suicide, tear the number. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, to even have something as extreme as that and... I'm, and I had to tell my wife, and I'm constantly reminded that I know so many, so many people that with stage four colorectal cancer that have just lived awesome lives, like 25, 30 something years living with the disease. And as soon as someone hears a stage four, whatever it is, diagnosis, they automatically think it's pretty much end of life when stage four itself is such a broad statement. And I had to tell people that it's not reflective of severity. It's just the process and how cancer happens. Yeah. And not to mention things are changing constantly with the treatment options and things that are out there. Like I always say that like Tom Marsilia, Dr. Tom Marsilia always said he described himself as currently incurable. And I say that people will say, well, I'm incurable or chemo for life. And I'll say, well, you might be currently incurable, but who's to say that a couple months from now, you might not be. So there's always hope. Absolutely. And um, I always found cancer was one of those real hard diseases that you can't really put an expiry date on someone just because I've heard of people with months to live end up living 20 something years. Absolutely. I've also heard people that were newly diagnosed that were dead within three months. So like, it's just, it really yep. is dependent on the person and the situation and the treatment options that are available. There's a couple more things on this. I printed out this sheet called cancer muggle bingo. So cancer muggles are those without cancer. And there's some sayings on here. Here's other things we'd probably don't want to hear or see the pity stare, just like the quiet <laughs> nodding stare at you there's the you should go vegan which also matches up with the don't eat any type of sugar or sugar feeds cancer and i was gonna be like you know what else feeds cancer 
anything you put in your body. And you're like, and donuts feed my mental health. So we're, it's a real. It's... Exactly. Well, let's put it this way. Bob Marley was a dedicated vegan. What happened to him? Right. Yeah. And he smoked lots of weed. And so when you get that one, too, it's double down. Oh, right. The weed, that's weed will make you live till 100, which. That's what I heard, too, is, oh, just go smoke a joint. Oh, I mean, well, I should have been cancer free like up until like now then, because obviously the, the weed that I'm smoking should be killing me. But again, <laughs> CT scans say otherwise. Oh, man, that damn scientific evidence. Yeah, the sugar one is really like, you know, everything in moderation in my mind is actually fine. Like, yeah, no, I'm not going to go out there eating a ton of refined sugar, especially as a cancer patient. You know who shouldn't else? You know who else shouldn't eat a bunch of refined sugar? So once in a while, if I have, you know, something like a dessert or an ice cream with my kids and I get that look like, oh, you have cancer, don't you? It's just like, come on, man. Does this mean you're going to start knocking donuts out of my hand? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're going to push our anti-sugar agenda on you guys and everyone oh, else. We'll pull the vegan card and just make everyone not eat sugar. Oh, and also like your habits too. Like, did you ever smoke a cigarette? I'm like, yeah, I, I did. Yeah, I, right. I, and again, judgment. I have plenty of relatives who've smoked every day of their lives and they're 80 and 90. Yeah. <laughs> my hard one was I, I really enjoy cigars, but I do understand they aren't good for my health. And like yeah. I said, to circle back to the craft beer, aha, I do miss mm -hmm. my craft beers. Just a quick disclaimer. We, we, we advocate healthy lifestyles and healthy food here. No one should be out smoking regardless of no. their health status. Go ahead, Kelly. No, no. Yeah. Even if it's a thing that you you know, technically shouldn't partake in because of your health and things like that, it still doesn't change the fact that you enjoy it and it brings you happiness. And it's hard. Oh, when it's... uh. Well, up here in Canada, we use Celsius. So when it's a 30-something degree day and you're sitting on a patio, you, yeah, you really crave a beer. And it's not for the, it's not for the alcohol or anything. It's just the situation. I really want a beer. It's like that social part. Yeah. But when the doctor looks at you square in the face and says, yeah, you got tumors in your liver, you kind of pull back on that. And I pretty much, uh, I, I jumped on the wagon overnight kind of thing, just with the, my liver for whatever is that is what's keeping me going right now so i just treat my liver as kindly as possible but it still doesn't mean that i can't enjoy the odd beer once a month kind of thing rob you know i want to talk about before we get silly again something a little serious that's on my mind when i think about you is like sometimes there's just this question that comes into my head like am i going to progress um, when when might i progress am i going to stay stable am i going to reach ned like like those thoughts about the future are like my mindset's really good now, but those thoughts about the future still come into my head. Like they're just going to pop up. And I guess I, I don't really have strategies for dealing with them other than to just be like, okay, well, I can't really answer that. So move on to something else. But are those type of questions something that come into your head too? Absolutely. I mean, like I said, for being doing this for four and a half years and just really having it confined to my liver and not exploding throughout my body kind of thing, it's constantly on my mind because it's, Hmm. It's that one thing that's keeping me alive and possibly be cured of this one day. I mean, I know mm -hmm. when it gets I know when it gets quite extensive, obviously your odds of being cured are lower, but you can still live a long time with it. But ultimately I would like to have this stupid monkey off my back at some point <laughs> in my life. So if and having that constant thought of progression, I've built in kind of like um just buffers that I allow myself. And as long as I don't have any new mats, 
or as long as I don't have any mats in a new area, then I'm fine with if they grow a little bit or whatever kind of thing, because mm -hmm. I know I'm on treatment and I, I know they can recycle different chemos and stuff like that and try different stuff. But um, I've almost given myself just a little bit of a buffer of not getting my hopes up when all of a sudden I just get a stable scan as opposed to a shrinking scan. I know stable sucks, but it's better than growth, um, which I've been having lots of stability scans. So I just kind of, I kind of yeah. just talk myself almost through the actual CT scan whenever I get one. And it's just being more realistic now with it as opposed to just wishing for the almighty cure kind of thing. And when the fear comes up and when the uncertainty comes up, which of course it's going to do, I'm comforted by being friends with you and by being friends with other guys online and in the group, because, you know, that's what it's all about to me. Like just knowing that we're in this together and that we're fighting the same fight gives me great. It just gives me a sense of comfort, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Whenever it is one of those things that, and I really appreciate the man up to cancer. Um, I was a part of Colon Town and different other Facebook groups that I would get almost that need met. Ultimately, it's nice knowing other people are going through the same kind of stuff that I'm going through, not necessarily colorectal. Yep. But just having cancer in general, it doesn't really matter where your origin is, uh, the original tumor. It's the fact that I said to my counselor that I felt like I lost my innocence when I got diagnosed kind of thing, just because it was, it's such a monumental life event that there is literally a pre-diagnosis Robbie and a post-diagnosis Robbie. And like I said, it's that loss of innocence saying that, oh, I'll never ever get cancer. Well, you kind of did. So it's been... uh yeah, yeah, going to yeah. that and living in the present. Yeah, <laughs> as best we can. Hashtag YOLO. Yeah, right? <laughs> I was starting to feel a little too sad right there. So you know what? We're going to ramp it up here and get back into a happy place. And we're not going to... We're not going to do that by ignoring cancer or just putting it to the side. We're going to jump right into cancer patient trivia with Rob. Are you ready? I have some really tough questions for you today. Are you ready for this? Well, I've watched lots of Jeopardy, so I think I'm built for this. I think you are. Okay, here we go. Which food is the best cancer killer? Kale, carrots, or cucumbers? Um, I'm going to have to say the carnivorous vegetables, so kale. You're actually wrong. This is a trick question. It's none of the above. <laughs> the best food. <laughs> I Googled this. And the best food for cancer killing is the elusive Himalayan beetroot, which can only be harvested one night of the year by monks i feel like he's really setting you up for failure here yeah that was not fair but it's truth it's 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 very expensive but there's companies willing to sell it to you rob it's on sale stupid rob stupid i should have known that <laughs> how many medical opinions should you obtain to help you decide on your treatment plan one multiple opinions including at least one at an nci designated cancer center two one opinion from a local cancer center or three an opinion from uncle josiah who used to be a foot doctor lost his license under questionable circumstances, but insists that he knows his shit. And he has some of that Himalayan beet root. He does. He was a, a fired veterinarian for malpractice. <laughs> 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 well, I'm going to say, we don't have them up here, but I keep hearing a lot about these NCI places. So I'm going to say NCI. The um, one that includes at least one of those with multiple opinions, because I very, very believe that multiple opinions work. Multiple opinions. And for Canada, I would just say like a major center, like that could be academic or just a major cancer center. Correct. 
Rob, you ding, that ding, is ding, correct. Ding, 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 ding. We are going to add in sound effects at some point. You're one for two, but the one you got wrong was a trick question, so that wasn't really fair. I got a couple more questions. Okay, go ahead. You tell your oncologist that you are informed, educated, and ready to be part of the decision-making. Which is the most common response amongst oncologists? One, a chuckle with a pat on the back and a whisper, sure, you're informed. Two, a sigh of relief followed by, that's great because I have no idea what to do for you. (laughs) Or three, the confident reply, excellent. I value patients who are engaged in the process and bringing their ideas to the table. I'm honestly expecting a fourth one of a, with an eye roll. (laughs) You're very informed, right? But I'm going to have to realistically say the first one, just because they that's one of the things that actually frustrates me about some oncologists is when I start, I know I'm not an oncologist. I know I don't know all this kind of stuff. I admit it fully. But I can talk to other people that are going through similar situations as me that are a bit more informed than I am. Hmm. So I'd like to take that information to my oncologist who usually goes and rolls his eyes at me. I've always been kind of amazed with the conversations that we've been hearing that it does seem like the medical professionals aren't always in tune to listening to you guys as patients of like (laughs) 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 a sense of like what you're feeling in your body. I told my oncologist this and I stand firm, believe it. Um, Behind closed doors, oncologists talk. They exchange ideas. They have meetings, all this. Well, I hate to say it, but now patients are starting to talk to each other. And mm-hmm. I've actually found my voice when it came to this, all this medical uh, mumbo jumbo through Colon Town and Same. other online groups that I don't necessarily know how to battle breast cancer or leukemia or anything. But I talked to a bunch of people who already have colorectal cancer, and this is what they're doing in their part of the world. Can we maybe apply it to my part of the world? And tell me why not. Like, that seems like, you know, it seems like you guys get no's, but not necessarily a, a reasoning. Yeah, 100%. And um, I put in uh, the wording, like, um, you imagine there was a cure somewhere on this planet, but you had to go to another country. Like, would you just go to that country or use their ideas? Or would you just say, well, I live here and this is what we do. So that's pretty much my fate. So oh, let's man, get that, some of that beetroot stuff. Yeah, the beetroot, it's the beetroot. No, you're, you're spot on. And the best and the most progressive oncologists are the ones who do want inform patients, the ones who are like the ones in Colon Town. And that's where I still science my cancer and, and learn from people who are way smarter than me. That patient to patient knowledge and learning what's happening at the forefront from others who are going through it and bringing that to your team and saying, hey, have you heard about what's happening you know, in Seattle or down here in, in, or in Tampa or at MD Anderson? And you know what? Sometimes even the best oncologists sometimes will just say, yeah, I haven't explored that. Let me take a look at those studies. And they'll, they're receptive to that. But unfortunately, your answer, which is eye roll, <laughs> is correct. It was the hidden fourth answer. So you actually get two points, two points for <laughs> Rob on that one. Beetroot. So now I've only asked three questions, but you now have three points. So the last question, after your chemo session number, whatever, you lost track, um, you catch up with a friend for coffee. He spends an hour telling you about how tired he is. And he has a bad cold and it's annoying. Number one, empathize with him with affirmations like, that must be so hard. Two, politely tell him you'd love to talk about more positive things that are going on in your lives. Or three, throat punch him while yelling, 
There is no mercy in this dojo. <laughs> if you die, let him die. Um, I learned a very valuable lesson while I was sitting in a chair, uh, in the chemo chair, actually. Um, I sat beside, a, a, I just happened to be another guy named Rob. I was wondering why he looked like such a stand-up guy. There are so many awesome Robs in my life, by the uh, way. Thank you. So um, we were talking, comparing war stories, and uh, I was telling him, oh, I have stage four colorectal cancer, mets in my liver started feeling pretty down about myself just as I was talking, just because it was a newly diagnosis. Um, he started rattling off how his colorectal cancer is far more extensive than mine was. Um, he had it in multiple organs. He had it in like shitting in a bag, uh, doing all this other stuff. So I really kind of did my own. Um, you can't really compare suffering because suffering is suffering to that person. So as much as I would hate to say this, I would uh, probably say the first answer was saying that nah, man that must suck because in his life that's the shittiest thing that's going on in his life well this is the crappiest thing that's going on in my life if you mm. care to listen but uh yeah i would have to say the first one even though i don't want to say the first one just because it's like come on man a cold <laughs> we're gonna look to the judges ding 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 correct yes yes rob you are 100 percent. you're four for four we're actually going to give you the first one so you're five out of four which is impossible but well done on the trivia you have aced it i went in 1987 chrysler lebaron oh. yes. <laughs> so we're going to be wrapping up here but tell us a little bit about what you're doing to bring joy into your life like what's filling your cup these days and and, and what do you have that you can do to to live joyfully over the next couple months as we go into the fall um it's been kind of really amplified with this whole corona stuff or covid stuff whatever you want to call it kind of right. going around just because a lot of the places i would go to just get rid of my bad feelings or whatever or my get get me in a clear mindset well they're closed so um i've Oof. been really having to find my own happiness and bring my own happiness wherever i go and I mean, I'm not one of these bumbling idiots that are just so positive. It makes you sick. Um, <laughs> I do have my down days. I do have my moments. Amen. And it's it's living. Oh, I just hate saying this. It's just living in the present so much that like no matter what's going on around you, try to rattle off 10 things that you enjoyed about your day. Even if it's, hey, it's, it didn't rain today out in the West Coast. That's pretty awesome. And one of your happy places is just out in the woods, right? I mean, you've you've sent me some photos of trees that are 10 times the size of the trees we have out here. So that's pretty cool. Do you, are you able to get out in the woods? I am actually. Um, I have actually, my mom, my mother's side of the family is actually from, um, I don't know if you guys heard of it, it's Tofino, uh, the West Coast of Vancouver Island. Um, it's a real big tourist hotspot. They get tourists from all over, but hmm. um, I'm fortunate enough to have my mother's side of the family there so if i ever want to get into those huge giant redwood trees mm. it's really easily accessible for me but even where i live here i i live 10 minutes from the ocean um if i need to go clear my thoughts kind of thing i, I just walk down to the beach and just sit on a log and i call it meditating with my eyes open kind of thing just looking around and just not saying anything and trying to be I hate this term being in the present. <laughs> it's true. But you always have to tell people like nobody can live with that kind of intensity where you're just ever present all the time. And like everything's just in focus. Like sometimes you just need to you do feel like crap and you check out like. So, yeah, like living in the present. But there does need to be a little asterisk on that. Yeah. Netflix and chill exists because of people wanting to check out. Right. Although I keep on my husband 
has reminded me that I use that term incorrectly and that it's more uh intimate <laughs> it's like oh, that, like like that like I I want to just say like because I take it as like Netflix and Whoa. just hang out but that's apparently not what it oh, means okay. <laughs> I'm learning see I'm learning the lingo now how do you not right. know that you have teenagers that's probably why I don't know that <laughs> so the Netflix and chill I'm gonna say on your for your a definition yes it is the being yep. present i mean yep. you have to be present for the dirty version or else it just wouldn't work <laughs> <laughs> um but no it is just that it, i often catch myself saying this to my wife if i am having those moments and i just look at her randomly and i'll just say i'm here with you right now that's all i have and just even saying those words mm. um it doesn't even need to be in context. Like she could be in the middle of a sentence and I'll just interrupt that with her because it's the feelings that I have right now constantly that are going through my head. Mm-hmm. Um, and just even therapy. I, I was never really one to push therapy. Um, I had an awesome childhood. I figured I didn't really have anything to talk about. <laughs> but uh, all of a sudden you get thrown into a cancer diagnosis. And I just said that I'm in a situation I've never been in before. Let's try some stuff I've never done before. So even just talk therapy to just walking, honestly, lots and lots of walking and just trying to do something. Like I've been unemployed during this entire time, four and a half years and good luck trying to find a new job with COVID right now. But it's just even just trying to find a task that you can just put your thoughts towards that task and not necessarily, Hey, I got to scan in like two weeks. Mm -hmm. So it's living in the now. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing all this with us today. Thank you for sharing yourself on online so that others can see what it is, because that is one thing about, I love to bring people on here who are just no bullshit, no filters and just say, yeah, highs, lows, everything in between. This is the shit. This is what it is. And you do that, my friend. And I love you, brother, um, on the journey with you and here to support you, you know, now and for all time, man. So thanks for coming on the podcast with us today. Thanks, Rob. No, thank you guys very much. I was really looking forward to doing this. It gives my wife a bit of a break from hearing all the same shit that I keep <laughs> repeating myself. So it's nice to have it at least on wax and online. And so now it's recorded. If you ever want to play it to anybody else and, you know, don't have the energy to tell them your story, you'd be like, just go listen to the podcast. Just go listen to this and then just come back if you have questions. Yeah. And bring some Himalayan beetroot. <laughs> next time you're in the Himalayas. Great to talk to you, man. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Man Up to Cancer podcast. If you want to get behind our mission, you can connect with us, subscribe to our email list, and subscribe to the podcast if you like where I'm headed with this, and check out our other content at manuptocancer.com. And if you know a man struggling with the isolation that cancer can bring, let him know about us. The Wolfpack doors are always open.